guys this was a special this is a special podcast episode um i i got to chat with um my friend joy who i've known since oh my gosh we've known each other since we were basically teenagers in college um i met joy at berkeley college of music where i attended um and joy was i remember that we get into how we met in in the episode but um you know this is a person that i actually have a lot in common with um joy was raised in christian faith just like i was joy has had all kinds of um deconstructions of of their own throughout their life um with with um you know how to view sexuality and and gender identity and all kinds of stuff we get into the nitty-gritty about it actually pretty pretty early on in our conversation um joy is obviously a musician and has done the the touring thing and the musician thing and the producer thing and the singing and all and all the above um and joy is currently a very successful entrepreneur and is married to a beautiful woman and joy is just a joy to talk to um so enjoy (laughs) enjoy my conversation with joy um i remember i don't know if you remember the day we met i remember meeting you i do remember meeting you was it at the big berkeley orientation thing yes you were in line in front of me and you had a bible on you i was like oversaved much (laughs) you had a bible on on you had a bible on you and it was um it was i think it was uh, like a placement um audition or something like they wanted to see where your skills were to place you in, in like the the private lessons for for berkeley yeah <clears throat> i think it was for that and you were like praying <laughs> and you were like you were like um you were there for drums right you started on drums i did and, and um uh you were like praying for like focus and whatever and i was like okay i guess there's safe people here um and um I, i'll never forget that wow i imagine your your faith and your your beliefs and whatever aren't the same as they used to be when you were were 19 how old were you yeah definitely 19 (laughs) um you know that's a really interesting i love that because as early as 2018 i used to um bring my bible to work Mm. so you know there have been a lot of, I guess, twists and turns in mm-hmm. my relationship to spirituality and to religion. And, you know, hey, it depends on it. I hate to say this, but it just depends on like what's going on in my life. I think that kind of brings into focus certain things or not. By right? the way, I'm, I'm hitting record from here. Yeah, on. I'm record. All right. That's great. Um, and I have learned probably in the past, I will say five years specifically to balance the respect I have for the church and the black church and the, my idea of Christ and salvation and my ideas around the doctrine, you know, that I grew up with and to like respect that and to have a relationship with that while also balancing like what I know to be true in my body. And when I talk about my body, I'm not talking about like anything sexual. I'm talking about like we can, anybody who is a spiritual person or any person who has been like 
you know, involved in religious spaces knows the feeling of experiencing a higher power or like, wow, this, this is bigger than me. And I think that what separates, you know, certain folks like myself and others who are like extremely, you know, plugged into like a church community or, or like extremely like doctrinated and, you know, they're not flexible at all. I think the difference is that I have learned to identify that feeling in every single space that I go into. It does not have to be a church. It does not have to even be a a religious place. I simply, I can feel, you know, what we used to say is growing up the Holy Ghost Mm. at the strip club, right? And I can feel that. <laughs> you know, I get those feelings. You know what they say, you're quicken in your spirit. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel that at brunch, you know, in Atlanta. Like if anybody's been to Atlanta, like the brunch scene is like real big, right? And it's mm-hmm. like bottom of some mimosas and all this stuff. And I don't even drink, but like my wife really enjoys these brunch things. And like we so just went to you one. said my wife. So but you know, for anyone listening, if we can get just a little bit of background of where you are today who you are married to, how do you identify, if you don't mind, yeah. the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole nine? Yeah, I'll give the rundown. So I identify as non-binary. Okay. What, what are your pronouns? They, them are my okay. pronouns. I will, I, I'm okay with he, him, depends on, you know, the situation, but they, them is the proper, you know, how I like to be addressed. Okay. Um, I, not being non-binary is different for everybody. And this is, of course, a, another podcast another conversation it's different for everybody but for me i have known since i was like three or four Mm. that i was like a man living inside of a woman's body but i have grown to really appreciate certain feminine traits and feminine um i guess you would say like the like the way you raise a little girl is very different than some pe- for some parents, mm-hmm. not trying to be controversial, but for some parents, the way th- for the way they raise a little girl is different than the way they raise a little boy. And I was raised in a Christian Pentecostal Christian home with with parents who were pastors, so I was very much raised in a traditional sense of how you raise a little girl. Okay. And there are certain things about that rearing and that raising that gave me more access to my emotions that gave me more access to uh, verbalizing certain thoughts and feelings that gave me more access to understanding myself in a certain way some of that is a good thing and some of it is a bad thing Mm -hmm. and so for me when I think about like transitioning and all these different ways in which you can express gender I am going to have top surgery in another year but for me I never felt shame or embarrassment around my mm. body as many of my trans brothers and sisters do. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment that comes with being in a body that doesn't feel right. And I can't say that I've ever felt that way specifically. Um, so and, nobody, and you're married to a beautiful woman. And I'm married to a beautiful woman. And who she identifies as she? Am I? She, yeah, she okay. identifies as a woman. And, you know, she, if I was to bring her on right now she would say she was tricked because she <laughs> thought she was marrying you know she thought she was dating a woman and came to understand probably within a couple of weeks of us dating like oh this is a man mm-hmm. and that's okay like 
that's fine, but I didn't expect that. And so now I have to recalibrate how I think about certain things in our relationship. And so I tell everybody we have a same sex relationship, but we're very much in, we have a very heterosexual dynamic, which is hard for people to understand. But I get it. if you were around us, it's very like, it's definitely not two women in a relationship. And I mean, it's, I, you know, I've always kind of seen like a, gen- a gender identifying. It's just kind of like just painting with different colors. And it's like, you paint, you put our colors together. It's purple. Ex- exactly, and uh, you know, it's like some. Sometimes I paint with red. Sometimes I paint with blue. Sometimes I paint with green. It don't matter. But this is the result of what of what we are together. One one hundred percent. Yeah, and we're happy, and we're in love, and we're business partners, and all those things. And I think my sexuality and my gender identity was always kind of known to me. But you know, I was in the prison that many of us are in, growing up in the home that I grew up in where it was like, you have to present a certain way, you have to be a certain way, you have to wear dresses, you have to do this, you have to do this. And by the time I got to Berkeley, when you and I met, I was still very much indoctrinated into that and still trying to make a square peg fit into a circle. Mm. And I hadn't yet let go of trying to fit my life into what I thought it was going to be, which was like... I don't think you're realizing how old we are joy but uh, this was a long time ago <laughs> this was a long time <laughs> and and ago. i don't think that our especially not our country had the language for a lot of this like we just didn't have like the square peg what we didn't have the tools literally to express what it was that people were had been feeling for thousands of years you know or forever 100 um so every time i think about this stuff I have like sort of like a half and half in my mind. Number one, I have sort of like, oh, we were so ignorant, we didn't know. And number two, like a mercy, like a like a compassion, a grace for it. It's that. like it, we we weren't there yet, and I love that. we can't. It's man, it, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Sometimes I think about like how people think about race and how they thought about race in the '60s and how different it is today. And I don't want to give them grace. It's like that was evil. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I, I i'm imagining my kids being like and you guys what and you said what to who and Exa- you exactly. and you dead named who and me be like please give me grace i don't know, you know? yeah yeah <laughs> no and i you know i try to i'm one of those people and i think you've seen some of my stuff on facebook like you know people get mad at me sometimes for giving compassion and grace to people who are mm-hmm. you know identified as oppressors or people who are identified you know in certain groups like i'll have grace and compassion for you know, just the thought, like I understand as a person who grew up in a Christian household and had black parents and also as a person who, you know, left a a emotionally abusive relationship. Mm. When you are, when you're told certain things over and over and over again, and there's a threat of like, I don't know, just like your life. Yeah. Hell. (laughs) Or just even just like your lifestyle not being the same. Like I'm I'm just, I try to feel compassion because I know, like if I look at the decisions that I made when I was in my last marriage, no shots fired. But like when I look at those decisions, I'm like, what the, f- what were you on, bro? Mm. But my, my mind was just conditioned in a certain way at that time. So I was making those, you know, decisions. So I have grace and compassion for people, but what I don't have grace and compassion for is once we've, t- once you've been exposed to mm-hmm. the truth, you continue down a certain path. 
you know, that's where the grace and compassion goes out the doors. Like at that point, it's a choice. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I kind of see it like I remember someone explaining this to me when I was really young. And it was like, I remember, you know, as, as a typical 13 year old, whatever, I was, I, I probably thought like gay people are icky, boys and boys kissing is icky or whatever. And someone explaining to me, it's like, would you ever want to do these things unless there was nothing like, like they they kind of presented to me like, would you want to kiss a boy? It's like, no, I wouldn't. It's like, they feel the same way. And it's like, so it's icky to them. And it's like, exactly. And it's like, for someone to, to call me she or call me something that I feel that I am not, it's as icky. And it's like, it's, it, it, it's something that as soon as you're able to put yourself in other people's shoes, you cannot possibly Facts. not have compassion for them. And it's like, Facts. there's no other way of, of seeing it. Like, and I think that whenever people um, continue to have like, you know, hateful conservative thoughts about this stuff, I'm just like, then you haven't placed yourself in their shoes. Like you haven't done the practice of like lifting up your brain and put it in theirs and and feeling what it is to feel the things they're feeling. Because as soon as you've done that, then you would understand. Um, and I don't know, man. It's I feel like the older I'm getting, I, I'm also getting more liberal. <laughs> yeah. Like I forgive everybody for everything nowadays. So I'm just like... <laughs> but, well, well, you know, that's another thing is what I've noticed is, you know, the experiential learning piece is missing for a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, in the words of Lauren London, life is going to chin check you one way or another. And we, we all have that opportunity in life where something happens to us and you like, Oh, like a light bulb goes off and you're like, Oh my God. Like I was judging people who made these kind of decisions last year. And now I'm in this, you know, situation, you know, like if we were to like go to a prison and by the way, I've spoken to, you know, I have friends and people who, you know, are justice involved, what we say, you know, justice involved folks. And you talk to them about the decisions they I were making. I've never heard that term before. You've never heard justice involved? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's it's a, it's 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 a it's a much more respectful way to reference people who have been to prison or who, you know, have had different problems with the law. You know, people who are felons, so on and so forth. And, you know, I have people in my life um because of the kind of work that I do that are justice involved and mm. those individuals when you meet them and you talk to them about the decisions that were made around the time that was pivotal for them you know when their life was changing and they were about to either go to jail or have you know some some you know proceedings with the law most of the time when you start to get to the core <laughs> of what the issues were they all lead back somehow to need uh, you know, trauma, uh, you know, no support, no guidance, living in an underserved community where there weren't programs and, and you know, ways of, you know, diverting people's attention or, you know, young people's attention. There was no STEM program. There was no, you know, after school program. The only thing you would do was sports, mm -hmm. you know. So when you talk to folks like that, and they sometimes haven't even analyzed it that way. But if you've had enough conversations with the same kind of people, you're like, oh, America's kind of crap for people who don't have money. Yep. And that caused you to get into a life of crime, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So when you do, when you have a certain amount of experiences and, and listen, I'm not, you know, I say this all the time, like 
there's way more in life for me to experience. I'm only 36 and, you know, I, ha- but I have led a lot of different lives. I've had a lot of different kinds of careers. I've been in a lot of different spaces with a lot of different people. I've lived a lot of different places. When you just have a certain amount of conversations and you're exposed to the world in a more comprehensive way, you start to have a lot of compassion for people because you're like, oh, like I was judging you based on this thing that I saw on the internet. And now I've had a conversation with you. And I realized that all of your decisions weren't even made in the moment Mm. they were informed by years of trauma generations generations let me tell you so i i grew up in jersey city jersey city is the is always in those lists if you look up like the most diverse cities in the country jersey city is is always in those lists it's the it's the town right across from manhattan and uh, it's more diverse than manhattan it's more diverse than new york city um it's extremely diverse and you know, I grew up next to all kinds of people. I literally had the mayor living around the corner from me. And then next door, I, I lived in the projects. It's like I lived in the actual projects. And then like around the corner was, it's like really diverse, really mixed. There was like millionaires around the corner. There was people on Section 8. Like we lived in Section 8. Um, and um, I remember, so, you know, I was raised, uh, I'm Dominican. I was raised around uh, people um, who historically invented the 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 new world version of racism. <laughs> we were Christopher Columbus for a stop. A lot of the derogatory terms came from our country. So we know how to do racism. I, I, I've spoken about this in a previous episode of this podcast where Dominicans are, are the connoisseurs, chef's kiss of racism. Wow. And so like um, the way that we saw black people or the way I was told to look at black people was you're living in the same country as them. Why are they fill in the blank? Why you and your neighbor go to the same school? Why why are you getting better grades? And blah blah blah. And I'm like, there could only be two reasons. The reason A, something about their environment is different than mine, even if we're living in the exact same place, which was not the reason I saw until later on in life. Or reason B, there's something inherently I'm I'm a racist. <laughs> right. It's either right. A or B. So yeah. it's like, um I, I and I did not make that choice of a or b until later on in life and i always thought it's like oh it's their culture it's the way that that they live their life it's the way that they see the world blah, blah, blah. no it's the way the world sees them it's the way the world treats them and it's <laughs> and and the, the the more i think about like how similar our upbringings were living literally on the same block going to the same school doing the same things and still having different results that only further proves the point 100 percent. so it's like it has to be unless i'm a unless i'm just a racist it has to be something about the way the world is treating them and um you would think you know growing up in such a diverse place that um you know being uh uh an um uh, an ally would it would it would foster allyship um, but being Dominican didn't help, and also growing up in the church didn't help. Um, mm. And um, yeah, so yeah, the past couple of years, you know, I, I want to say ever since right before, right when Donald Trump announced, that's when it like it really started for me, which is really late. I'm like ashamed at how late it started, but it you know I got here. <laughs> it doesn't really matter how late or how early it is. Um, it it. I think what matters most is that you get there and that you're like the mark of a intelligent person to me is that they are able to receive new information and change their opinions and their thoughts based on that. Mm. If you can't do that for me, then we just can't like, I literally unfriended somebody yesterday for an opinion on black Panther. 
Like, like that's how deep this goes for what me. What are your opinions on Black Panther? I mean, if you want to jump, this, you know, this is this is it. If you want to get into that, let this me is say exactly. this: if you want this podcast to get controversial, to hear it, um, you know, listen, and let me just say a disclaimer. You know, one of my favorite Instagram influencers says, "This is my mouth, my tongue. I say what I want. I don't care." Like, I'm I'm one of those people that I really have learned to be so open to new information that my opinions i when i speak them out i'm just like no matter what anyone else says to me unless they bring me another perspective that i had not considered before mm. i'm always going to respect my opinion like i'm always going to respect because i do the work you know okay. and, and i'm not saying in the world of facebook and, and, and instagram i think sometimes people share their opinion without doing the work mm. and i'm not saying that i'm better than anybody i'm just simply saying that like I, I think I posted on Facebook the list of things I do before I share something on Facebook. And somebody was like, wow, that's really thorough. And I'm like, I thought that's how. <laughs> I thought that's how you, I don't know. I, th I know I have some opinions that don't have a lot of bases and I'm bigoted about them like pizza. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um. <laughs> unless we talk about Popeye's, you know, Popeye's chicken sandwich over Chick-fil-A. I'm going to do some research, you know what I'm saying, before these things happen. Okay, exactly. so what is, so I don't know if I should tell you what the opinion was that I saw first mm. or if I should tell you what my thoughts and feelings were first. No, tell me what you saw. What I saw. Mm -hmm. Great. So this young man posted, he is a father. He is a black father. And he posted that he was not going to take, he was not going to go see Black Panther or he wasn't going to take his child to see the new Black Panther. Mm. Because, and, and, and he'd rather, he'd rather take his child to see Avatar because it speaks more to the legacy of like fatherhood. And it seems like Black Panther was trying to remove black fathers from the picture. Okay. Okay. And one would argue that, just, that all superheroes movies do that, but whatever. I just simply unfriended him. Mm. Instead of commenting and arguing back and forth because I'm at the point in my life where I, I don't go back and forth unless I really feel that the person is capable of receiving my perspective, right? You don't have to say that I'm right, but you do have to like be open to another perspective other than your own. So I just simply unfriended him. And the reason why is you were so, you, your lazy self, <laughs> Wouldn't even let you go see the movie. So they hadn't even seen it yet. So they hadn't even seen it. <laughs> okay. And you you came on his Facebook <clears throat> on Beyonce's internet and gave us an opinion about the legacy of fatherhood within a movie you haven't seen. Unfriend. Unfriend button. <laughs> Unfriend. But, but the silly thing is, it's like I haven't even heard a single take about the Black Panther movies that involve fatherhood. It's like not a central theme. 
<laughs> Maybe it. I don't know. I haven't seen what I haven't and seen so it yet. Here's, and here's what I'm going to say is that I understand fully how as black people or even any, you know, marginalized group, you know, these really big cultural things that happen for us, like a Black Panther, there's almost a feeling like it's never going to ha happen again. Mm -hmm. There's like a, a belief in the scarcity yeah. of the, that rep representation. And let me tell you, no one knows that more than me because every single movie, TV show, you know, we talked about Insecure a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. that I enjoy, there's very rarely a masculine presenting black female in those shows mm. right the scarcity of representation of people i'm trying like to think about insecure was there there was no there wasn't i think there may have been maybe not in the characters not in not, any not way in the, that was, not in the poster people not in the poster people and definitely not in the characters in any way that's like you know that was like i can remember and i've watched that show a few times front to back especially since it's gone off because i love that show so much and i love Issa Rae. well the one thing i can say that Issa Rae is doing is when i watch her new show which is called rap shit i think it's called rap shit hmm. her new show there is a masculine presenting black female in that show as right. one of the characters right so she I don't know if she heard this feedback that I'm saying from somebody, I'm sure but she whatever. Did. I'm certain for, she what, has. For whatever, right? She heard she heard that feedback or she thought about it herself and she put that into this new show. And the character's wonderful and the character's like a great character, right? But just to get in like let's dive deeper into that. The character is a pimp. Mm. Right? And the character does like a lot of illegal things and the character makes questionable decisions. Although I love the character and I think that the character represents a really important thing on the show. There may be a masculine presenting black female who says, well, they got, they represent us, but look how they represent us. Yeah. It's a pimp. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just happy about the representation. I'm trying to think about if there's been any like Dominicans in the MCU, and I don't think there has been. And it better not be like a bodega owner. <laughs> That's crazy. We got, we got to have a bodega, though, man. We got. You know what? There probably has. I mean, Spider Man is in New York, so he, there's, I'm sure there has been some. Dominican. Miles Morales is for, uh, Miles Morales is Puerto Rican. Yeah, but right? he hasn't showed up in the MCU yet, technically. He hasn't. So. He's been mentioned, okay. but he hasn't been cast. He hasn't yet. showed up. Yeah. Yeah. So I said all that to say, I understand that there is a scarcity of black leading men. Mm -hmm. But I, as a movie buff and as a person who really loves TV shows and series and streamers and all that, I can also tell you that there's a lot more today than there was even three 100%. years ago, four years ago. And movies like Shang-Chi, The Woman King, <laughs> I can mention five other movies that really stand on the shoulders of Black Panther, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We as a people, and when I say we as a people, I'm talking about like the human race, have a really terrible belief in scarcity. And mm -hmm. so the recast T'Challa movement, which I just read through all of the like things that they were asking for in the recast T'Challa movement, 
really just speaks to a belief that like this is the only leg so it, it's to me what it sounds like and anybody who hears this you want to get in my inbox and have an educated conversation we can but what i got from the recast t'challa movement was we are never going to get a black superhero ever again so you can't take this character away from us because if you do then we will never we'll never get this ever again yeah, i have i have really mixed like feelings about that like i i understand i get it I, I understand both sides to it. Of course. Like, I don't want the character to end because I like that character. But it's like, make new characters. But at the same time, making new characters that people care about is, is really difficult. But at the same time, freaking MC, the MCU's done it a thousand times. Who the heck was Shang-Chi? <laughs> like, I never heard of that that character before they made the movie. So it's... Yeah. Right. And spoiler I, I, I alert. Both. I'm going to just say spoiler alert because, you know, you'll probably put this in your podcast description you know you'll mark down the time spoiler mm -hmm. alert they give us in the have you seen the movie mm -mm. i plan okay. to but i haven't seen it yet. all i'm gonna say is i don't mind I won't spoilers spoil like spoilers uh, I, yeah Go all ahead. i'm gonna say is because i don't want you to like this uh, i don't i want you to have the feeling of the moment okay like because i had it i will just say this that they literally marvel literally heard what the recast t'challa people were saying and they literally went into the movie and were like, okay, guys, here's a wide open door to what you have asked for. And it may not be in the way that you're asking for it, but T'Challa will live on. And the fact that it that part of it is ignored makes me believe that in this day and age, a lot of people are very concerned with doubling and tripling down on their opinions they're more concerned with that like i'm gonna stand on what i'm saying mm. than they are concerned with actually like listening to hear and being open to you know different perspectives i it's I, not i've seen that Go with ahead. with like with how people view kanye and it's like the kanye thing is an actively changing and it's an act it's an active volcano there's there's things there's new things happening so yeah. it's okay to change your opinions about kanye because kanye will say something today and then say we'll say something again something else tomorrow and and people just won't i'm like bro like you can't have the same opinion about him today hanging out with nick fuentes a literal nazi as you did last week like you could you could argue he's playing 4d chess and that it's all part of his plan and he's a genius okay have that opinion fine but you something's got to give like like it's 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 a, it's an actively changing situation so why aren't the viewpoints actively changing i, I find that to be agree. crazy when and, people and, can't and, do that it's, it's crazy to me agree and again i understand the need to or the feeling of wanting to uh, protect you know they're like protect people who even pr protect people who don't even need protection hmm. right um people standing billionaires nowadays like that. <laughs> oh yes i i stand you know like <coughs> i stand with dave Chappelle. Hmm. are you standing with him dave Chappelle is a millionaire hmm. he's okay like and this even goes into like my my opinions on cancel culture hmm. you know and you know, <laughs> I heard 
Cat Williams, who I never thought would be like the voice of reason in all of this, <laughs> discussing, you know, just like comedy and the things people say and stuff like that. And like, I just feel that as someone who grew up in the like pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook, pre-social media like era, people are just really thirsty to like share without necessarily being thirsty for the knowledge and the implications of what's happening for more than just your, you know, your demographic. And it's really sad. It's actually, it's, it's actually changing how I feel about hip hop. Mm. It's, it's making hip hop and a lot of art forms that I used to enjoy not so enjoyable anymore um one could argue it's not as good (laughs) one could definitely (laughs) one could definitely argue it's not as good but i also think that i guess the argument i'm just thinking out loud here i guess that argument that like it's not as good makes people have to do things that i don't agree with or do things that are like for lack of a better term publicity publicity stunts Mm -hmm. to draw attention to like what it is they're doing like it's not like oh he's such a great rapper it's like oh i'm just gonna say this thing about megan the stallion (laughs) and that's what it's like okay so you had people talking all day yeah but and you did and let me let me tell you this like I respect dude's pen. Like I respect, I respect what he's been able to do. But as someone who is a fan of like the level of songwriting and the level of production, I just was like, wow, this was like an easy grab for you, right? Like it was like, oh, I'm just going to do this. And so people are going to be talking about the album. I'm not saying that that was the attention, but the line, uh, the line draws with, with me, the line draws when we start making fun of someone's trauma or pain in a way that's like, would you say that like i'm just thinking of like being at a dinner right like me and you are like taking our wives out to dinner and we're all sitting there talking and like never they would never say that in front of each other (laughs) right like we're sharing appetizers and like i know that this thing has happened to your wife or you know something has happened to my wife and you know we're just sitting here and i make a joke about it like that is a moment that we know in real life would either one of us is going to get up from the table, right? Somebody's mm-hmm. going to be like, hold on a second, right? And then there's going to be an argument and there's going to be right away. So when we start doing this thing where it's like a satire of real life or like a, like we start making, like every, everything's not, you know, and this is going to get into the whole comedy conversation, but like everything's not funny. Mm. Everything's not a joke. You know, I, I, um, I want to say, The first time Dave Chappelle got in trouble with trans people, um, my opinion was co- comedians should be able to say whatever the hell they want. It's a joke, right? And then, then he got in trouble like a, it was three times. Then, then he, then he did a, another special where he like said more jokes, and it was like, bro, like what's going on? Um, and then the third time was the one where he was just like serious, talking about his friend, right? Am I getting the t- the timeline right? The the third one was like. The third time that he like had a special involved that he talked about trans people, and that's when he just was trying to like explain himself, and then he talked about his trans friend, whatever. As yes, it, it, yes. it just uh, it just didn't feel like okay. Now you're not; it's not jokes anymore, and it's just you talking. 
um like apologize man like <laughs> like and don't this- don't don't be don't be a dick you know like just don't be mean you know and then it, it just since then it's it just felt kind of like um i saw this take on on tiktok of this this old jewish guy he's like uh he's probably in his 60s um you know he's like i'm not really a a a comedy person like i don't whatever so he he watched the specials and then he watched the the snl uh, the recent snl thing and he talked about like he explained like the concepts of, of punching down and just kind of like how um dave Chappelle is a much better comedian than this and he doesn't have to do this punching down thing Agreed. and then he compared it to jokes that he heard growing up in like the 60s and 70s and stuff and he was like this is like what comedians did a long time ago and Dave Chappelle is supposed to be this like evolved modern avant-garde. Guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like why is he doing this old thing? Like it's it just seems like he has the ability to 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 he he can be better, and and that's where I was like it's true. That's at that point it was like yeah Dave Chappelle like screwed up. <laughs> Let me give you a good example of this, right? Because I always love to give people the the real world implications of what's happening. Right. So there was a special he did where he referred to the LGBTQIA plus community as alphabet people mm-hmm. or like the alphabet mafia or something. I never saw it, but I know that it came. The source was this specific special he did. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I hadn't seen the special, but like I just knew that this came from him because I saw a lot of like, you know, kind of like jokes alluding to like that you know, on Facebook and like around people. Okay. Fast forward after that special, like a year later after that special, I know, you know, I'm not going to mention anybody's name, but like I have a a musician friend of mine who is gay and he's openly gay and everybody knows it. And he was on a gig with four or five people that I know and through the musician community. And I don't think they were aware he's gay and if they were aware they were just being assholes but they spent this whole like 25 minutes during the time where they were setting up making these jokes about the gay community and referring to them as alphabet people right and it was a lot of like yeah they think they can this and blah 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 and I've heard this sentiment a lot And my friend was like texting me about it. And like, I was like, I'm not going to go as far as saying something dumb. Like, oh, I was heartbroken. But like, I was sad Mm. because these are all musicians that I like really like and look up to and like have had on my gigs and like things like that. And there have been several other times where I've been in a situation where I'm overhearing these things because I'm very like, I'm very loud and open about like who I am. And I think that you know, if you're on a gig where I'm paying you, then you probably might not like say these things, but also like, you know, keeping it real, like for the past, like probably five, 10 years, I haven't booked any, I haven't been booking anybody. I'll say five years. I haven't been booking anybody for anything, right? Like small little things, but I'm not in the community like, the, like I was before. Yeah. So like, I just hear these things. Like people will just like text me like, Joy, can you, yo, like, can you imagine I was on this gig? And it's more than one time. Mm. Musicians I love guys that like if you ask me can he play and should i hire him i'm gonna say yes but they spend a lot of time on these gigs saying these things and i believe that if i was to have like a heart-to-heart with dave Chappelle, and i was to tell him like 
this is how your comedy skit, which you get and you understand because you're not homophobic, translated to like years and years of just like torture for me and other gay people, gay yeah. and trans people in these spaces. Yeah. You you had the kind of platform where your intelligence, and I, I said this when, you know, the last special came out. I believe that he's intelligent. I believe that he's doing oh, there's, these there's kind no doubt of, about it. He's doing these kind of highbrow jokes that like you kind of have to have a certain level of intelligence to understand. I get it, but I'm just trying to trying to help you understand how in the comment sections of my page and on my wife's page and other LGBTQ plus people we know, you get referred to as the source. Mm -hmm. of whatever disgusting opinion this person is going to say and some will say well can you blame him for that no we can't blame him for that but what we can ask is please don't give these people whipping sticks because that's what you're doing yeah and I, I don't think they realize like how much they're adding to because i think that a lot of like creators they they really feel like you know you start off as just kind of like adding to to the culture community and then you get to a point where you're you're part of shaping the culture community you're not just adding to it you know you're not just adding pages to the book you're like an, you're one of the authors and we're gonna look back when i think about richard Pryor's time he was like a voice for a lot of people and he represented he was like a big whether he liked it or not was a major representation for many many opinions of black men of the time and you know, it's easy to look back at the, the things that he was saying and the things that he was expressing and be like, this is where black men were at this time. And Dave Chappelle is at that point, I believe. And Thanks. like not acknowledging the fact that you're creating, you're adding to the glossary, you're giving people new language um, is is kind of silly. Like I, I, I think that w what happened with Dave Chappelle is because he disconnected himself from like the mainstream stuff, like he's not connected to a network or contracts or whatever. He's just his own. He's doing his own thing. He just goes on stand ups or whatever. He doesn't have like, <clears throat> you know, multi million dollar contracts with whatever. Like he's he truly is independent. I think that because he is set up that way, he thinks that he's free from that stuff. It's like, bro, no, you're not. <laughs> like you are you are responsible for the opinions of a lot of impressionable people, Ooh. and it's just true. So um, as soon as you're able to acknowledge that, I feel like that's – it's like a, a lack of maturity on his – which is weird to say about a dude who's like – how old is he in his 50s? Yeah, but it, I also have heard the take that like certain comedians get to a certain age where they are truly out of touch with the pulse of the mm, culture. Yeah. And you have to do some considerable work to like stay in touch. And some of them just stop doing that work, but they keep – I think he's getting there. They keep just like spitting out whatever it is they, you know, whatever it is they think is going to, and they double and they triple down. And then it's like, it's hard. You know, the, there's a lot of comedians. What's his name? There's one comedian who like went into that part of his life and he was like golden. Um, short little white man, Carlin, George, George Carlin. Yes. He went into that age of his, his career and he was, he was doing his thing. Mm -hmm. So I would love to do a case study on what did he do to kind of, stay in touch you know um i don't think dave Chappelle's in, in 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 touch and i like him a lot and i think he's really funny and i respected him so much for disconnecting from the corporate 
you know, that corporate beast mm-hmm. uh, to, to just be free. And I, I also like respected him coming out and being like, and saying what I had been saying as, as a black person who went to school with white people for a lot of my life. I remember in high school, I, I felt a, a certain level of discomfort around all of my peers, like love for Dave Chappelle and the show. Yeah. Like, I just would be like, that's not funny to me. Like certain references they would be making in the show. They loved it so much. And I knew that was part that, of his thing too. He's like, well, too many white people are laughing at my jokes. They're Something, laughing, something's wrong. <laughs> but right. And but what he said was they're not laughing with me. Mm-hmm. Like this is the laugh is a little different. And that's ultimately what made him disconnect. When I tell you I respect that, because the millions of dollars and they called him crazy. They did all the millions of dollars that you know he left on the table to leave that. Like I respect it. So when he came back with you know, that movie, The Block Party, and he was bringing all those artists out. He was doing so much respect for him, right? And then I turned on his special that day after being abused by certain things that he had said, not from him, but from, you know, other folks. And then I turned on his Netflix special, like, let me just watch this because people are talking about it. And I just was like, Ugh. like, I, you know, I folded up and I was like, man, like, and the double and triple down that, celebrities do nowadays i think is indicative of people feeling that because there's so many of us and one of them right so if like a thousand people are like joy you hurt our feelings me apologizing is in some way connected to or indicative of my weakness or yeah. my not being able to like stand up in who I am. I'm going to stand 10 toes down. And it's like, that's what you stand at 10 to- toes down for. <laughs> that's what you like. I, I, you know, I think also there's, I, th- and I hope that this is, I don't know why I'd be except to this, but um, I think there's a certain limit to, um, to people's ability to, catch a progressive wave in a sense like if you think about like some of the boomers and stuff that are like you know holding on to some conservative values whatever there was a time in you know the summer of love when their opinions were the most progressive and they've kind of like evolved with the times and then hit a certain limit it's like okay this is this is as far as i go and um (laughs) i think that he may have hit his limit like he's i don't know if it's (sighs) I just, maybe I'm just being a cynic, but I don't know if there's necessarily hope for him, like, changing his viewpoints on this sort of thing. And I think that he's too old. <laughs> and I think about that sometimes, and I'm just like, you know, some some of the some of the people who um, at one time would have been seen as, like, a wildly progressive thinker um, is now seen as, like, dude that's so like last year and i see this i see the same thing with like conservative values too like the other day um not the other day this was a while back but um i was actually i was i was fired from a mega church if you're not aware but um i think we had a a long conversation about this yeah, yeah yeah so um the the racism that i was calling out um which was the the catalyst for my getting fired was it just felt like old racism like this is like we're past this like this is like 80s racism the 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 statements that were being made were about like it was like welfare queen logic like Ronald Reagan type racism, and I'm like 
like this is old like we're past you know so i think that the same thing is happening with like with 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 progressive thinking where it's like there might be something that our children will will say you plan on having kids you plan on raising any any small I do. people all right. I do, and so, I and I have raised some some small folks my last uh, marriage, so yeah. I know the vibes. Yeah, I I have two I have two toddlers, and I and I have a feeling that there's going to be something that they're going to tell me that I'm going to be like, oh, that's that's my beyond my ability to evolve. I'm 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 going to die in this in this place, and I hope you're better than me. And you know, like I don't I don't know I don't know what what those viewpoints will be, um, and you know I hope that I can evolve and and you know allow my 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 worldview to be shaped and to to progress um but i just i wonder if that's what happened with him um where he just sort of his hit his cap it's, his it's so funny like he had um yasin bay and what's the other guy's name whatever for on, on snl talib quality yeah and i was like this feels like you could have had a new artist like <laughs> that was a missed opportunity and it's like oh yeah you're dave Chappelle. you're you're like old <laughs> and that's part you know part of it for me is you know i'll never lose hope Mm. because if he is to have a kumbaya moment as i call it that would be amazing man like can you imagine how the world would change with the influence someone like his has Mm. like imagine how amazing it would be if he could just like have this really great turnaround moment and i always have hope for that because i do believe he's an intelligent human being and i think that i've seen that in certain cases where somebody's just like hey i was dumb and stupid and i was wrong and it's just like played out really well for them and their career and all that stuff but not only that that helped to shift like you said it creates culture like it 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 helped to shift and i don't think he's aware of how important he is in the shift in the way in which black men specifically view and treat the lgbtq community hmm. he doesn't know how big of a like like he just has no idea of his impact in that area and if he was to change his mind and to really dig deep into it and like make it funny I think it could be revolutionary. So I'm going to just keep my hope for that. Yeah. Um, one thing that, you know, growing up in the church has taught me is like forgiveness. And it's something that um, I try to apply with, with everything, you know, like you were talking about, you know, having, <laughs> having hot takes. And one of them was like, I, I remember with all this um, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer stuff, I was like, I, I just felt terrible about like, how his life ended and he was like he was a killed in prison or whatever right and i was like that happened because i don't believe that like justice really happened in his case like there's no way that a person would do the things he did out of just evil and not like super motivated by like you know mental you know disease like the dude was messed up you know and um and people had were like they were like they couldn't believe that I would ever have you know possess an opinion like that. Like look, look, look the terrible things that he did and it was disgusting. But it's like duh, like that just makes it that much more crazy to me, you know. Um, and I don't know. I just I feel like maybe I'm over forgiving, <laughs> but like I feel like as much as as we're able to hold people accountable and the cancel culture thing, and as 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 much as we should be able to just be like, okay, I'm not listening to this person on Spotify anymore. We should be able to like forgive as well. 
Ladies and gentlemen, at this point in our conversation, we actually got into discussing some of the history and events involving Chris Brown. Um, and after listening back, we both decided that um, it could be triggering to some people. Um, and just out of respect to, to people who would be affected by you know hearing that stuff, we decided to omit it. Uh, no one's being censored or anything like that. Um, if you know me, I'm not I'm not the censoring type. But just out of respect for people, um, we we decided to omit that. Um, so he will be referenced in other parts of our conversation. Um, but I decided to cut just one section of our of our chat. Um, anyway, continuing on. You know, and I'm not going to I'm not going to get too controversial tonight. But I'm gonna just say. I hear people a lot of times saying, oh, I don't support this brand or this because they do that. Y'all, the reality is we really don't know what is happening behind closed doors. Yeah. I mean, it's I also have this thing with like corporations. I'm like, it's it's a corporation. It's like thousands of people work there. <laughs> like some we graphic can- designer that was paid. $64,000 a year worked on that commercial and you're like canceling the entire commercial like it's it it uh, it it's never really made sense to me when people get This like is that. what I'm saying. What all I'm saying is if I go into a store and I have a bad experience I'm absolutely allowed to say I don't want to spend my money there anymore. But when you hear about something on social media that's gone through 15 different outlets, we don't really know what happened. You're basing your opinion of that on just this hearsay and all this. For me, it's like all of these corporations have stuff that, you know, is less than moral. Right. Mm. But let me tell you this. Shout out to all my people who really live their life in a holistic and natural way where they ain't with none of that shit, mm. right? You're not going to catch them wearing Nikes or New Balance or Adidas or whatever. They don't They don't mess with none of that. They live on, they live somewhere where they're, you know, growing <laughs> their plants. They don't eat They grow their sneakers. <laughs> they're not, not eating, they, listen, they're wearing, you know, certain sandals they made. I'm being serious. It's no, no, people you're right. who, you're right. who live that life. And I mess with them because they're saying, I don't want none of that lifestyle. And I really respect that. But we can't sit here and split hairs like, oh, Nike, I'm not because Adidas has a history. Listen, it's all it's either we we choose to consume it or not. Now, what we can do, because we focus on where we're not going to spend our money, what the focus should be. I make sure to support at least five to 10 black brands, Mm. black owned brands. Every, like, I think I do this like every two or three months where I check like, okay, I need to find like, you know what? I love streetwear and sweatshirts. Let me find a new black, you know, owned place where, you know, I can buy, you know, and this wasn't, uh, you know, shout out to my sister-in-law because she was like, we had like, Kwanzaa and she was like are you buying from black businesses and I was like I mean yeah but I really wasn't so I started to be intentional <laughs> right so my focus you said yeah like, and it wasn't true <laughs> I was like yeah but I, I <laughs> it wasn't intentional right like yeah, if yeah. I was buying like from don't, black don't buy your Kwanzaa stuff from Walmart <laughs> exactly so for me I think we have to focus on okay well this corporation or this artist or whatever whatever like if you're mad at chris brown i respect you being mad at chris brown but what i would prefer 
is find a local Chris Brown and go to their shows and give your money to them instead of just saying, I'm going to take Chris Brown off my list. But like, you know, Usher is okay. (laughs) It's like, uh, okay, so you the corporate structure, you're all up in it and you're just going to choose which one. And by the way, all of these people have money, resource and the time, the the the. They have anything they need to be able to conceal and hide whatever they want from us. Mm. Some things do eventually come to light and where there's smoke, there is fire. And so I completely understand the other opinion of Chris Brown, which is like where there's smoke, there's fire. Like happened with Rihanna, happened with Karuchi. I don't care if it hasn't happened in six or seven years. He's an abuser to me. That's awesome. But who do you support then? Do you support your local Chris Brown? Because that's who really needs you. I, I I always try to think. I remember I heard um, a friend of mine gave me this advice that it's it's sat with me forever. Um, he he said only do the things that only you can do, and it's like only you can be a dad to your children. So you that's the thing that you have to do because no one else is going to do it like you, or you know only you can be a husband or whatever. And I think about stuff like, you know, like recycling. I remember with this whole, the whole thing with the straws. It's like, I really don't think that the impact that I'm having on this on this industry or on this person's career or on this corporation, my, my tiny purchase decision is really going to make a huge difference. I will make a difference in the places where I do have impact. Like, I have like a controversial opinion about like the environment, right? I don't believe that boycotts on straws or like... Um, bet, getting better at recycling, whatever. I don't think that any of that stuff actually has an impact. I think voting does. So I think you should vote for people who are gonna, you know, tax the corporations and make it hard for them to to do these evil things. And Agreed. that's where the real impact is happening. So I focus on the areas where I know I have impact, where I know yes. only, only I can cast this vote. You yes. know, that's where I should focus my yes. energy. And um, there's the whole thing with the environment too. It's like where um. Uh, corporations um, successfully shifted the blame on off of themselves onto individuals in, in terms of like the environment. It's like, oh, clean up the beaches and 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 uh, reduce reuse recycle is something that you have to do. When really, like ninety nine percent of all the damage is being done is by the corporations, and 100%. it's happening because of unfettered capitalism. 100%. So the the way to really have an impact is the way you vote, and so like. When I think about like these artists and stuff, it's like me playing a song on Spotify. Maybe they won't make zero point zero 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 three six cents today, but really, is that really impacting their life? No. Yeah. Like how you said, it's like support your local artist, support your local vendor, or whatever. That's where you actually can have an actual impact. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember <laughs> I got into this argument with my cousins and we went out for ice cream. They got so mad at me. They're like, how could you use plastic straws? Right. And I literally grabbed, I grabbed like a handful of, I grabbed like, like, like 40 straws from like this ice cream truck and I threw them down the drain. I was like, this is going to the ocean. <laughs> they got so pissed. At That's crazy. This is going to the ocean. And it literally tells you, like, on the drain. I, I live in Jersey City. It's near the river. It there's like a, a picture of a fish on the drain. It's like whatever you throw in here is going to the ocean. I'm like, yep. And I'm like, if you really want to make a difference, you got to vote. And you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing that um, I know that the only way that we could um, improve this sort of thing is educating people. 
Um, Facts. I'm all about education. Learning is the only way to like. I just through my spiritual practice, I learned that it is better. It's not better. It's the highest form of manifestation is to focus your attention on the things that you do enjoy, the things that you do want, the things that are good, the things that are, you know, in the Bible it says meditate on these things. Mm. I think there's a lot of focus today on what who, what we don't want and <laughs> negativity and where your attention goes, that thing grows. So if we all spent a lot more time, like, you know, giving all the best energy ever to like our local Chris Brown. Mm. Like that's a really great way for you to like, there's an alternative. Like you don't like what he's representing for R&B music and for young black men. Awesome. There's a, I promise you, you have a local Chris Brown who's like really talented, but can't afford an interface and can't afford studio time. Mm. Can't afford it. And I'm not saying to go to that young man's house and pick him up and feed him. I'm just <laughs> saying when he gets on Instagram and, and he gets on on Facebook, he has a, he says, I have a show next week. Why don't you show up? Mm. Um, I just, I have learned so much in the past five years about like, wow, when my attention goes to just like the things that I really do love and that I do like and supporting those who are around me and creating com- community around me, my life is just like a hundred times better. Mm. Um, and that is probably the thing I wish they told us in music school, like about like (laughs) affecting our local communities, you know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. like how to make an impact on our local communities. Cause what does everybody do? Like everybody moves to like LA or New York or Nashville. And, um, you know, my wife and I have been in Milwaukee for the past two years or well, like a year and three months um, because our wedding was here and we had some, you know, business, we got a property here. And like, we were just like, all right, well, we're just like, we don't want to be, traveling back and forth to take care of this property and um and to have our wedding because planning a wedding when you're not in that state is just like a really hard thing to do and so like we 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 came here and you know I kind of instantly got like involved in the community in a really meaningful way Mm. um in a way in ways that I didn't really think like were gonna happen and I wish I had been doing this, like setting down roots and like getting involved in the communities that I live in outside of what it can do for me. Mm. Right. Because when you move to Nashville and Los Angeles and New York and, you know, whoever listens to this, you can say whatever you want in the comment section. But like you're going there to get something. Exactly. Right. I'm going to LA to get work to get you know whatever whatever. It's not but to like, give to LA. To it's give not to, New York. to give to Los Angeles. New York don't yeah, need ex- you. <laughs> ex- right. Mm-hmm. So if 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 uh, my feeling is okay, like you want to move to New York to like rather than like get involved in like the local communities there and the local scenes there and become a part of it and um just watch how that just like feeds you in ways that are not necessarily based in like fame and like instagram and social but like ways that like actually like your soul feels good Mm. and i've seen a couple friends do that as artists and i'm like "Mm, well played like you did the right thing because um i think that's the only way life 
actually is meaningful and works out it's it's, it's like, so weird because like i've i've lived my whole life uh, serving in ministry and church and stuff and flexing that muscle where you're thinking about yourself and doing things for yourself is not a muscle that i have learned to like it's selflessness is something that the church the church teaches really well because they 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 want they want you to give yourself up and not get paid um <laughs> the fact <laughs> so like um i've actually ever since leaving church i have like a bad taste in my mouth with anything involving helping anybody because i associate those feelings with and it's super weird with like serving at church like um you know i i thought about what it would look like for you know my kids are really little now but i know eventually when as they get older i want them to get involved in the community and serve or you know do the soup kitchen thing and the whole shebang and i have so many like ptsd feelings about it that i associate with serving at church that i still get an ickiness like and and i, I mentioned this before in, in another podcast too where like um the guitar is hanging behind my head right now on, on the walls i haven't touched them since i moved to this house i will eventually i have to um, because every time I pick it up, I, I think about like church stuff and church music and, you know, the licks I play, they just, you know, gospel comes out and, and like, it's something that, um, I should probably see, seek therapy for, <laughs> but like, I, I do so closely associate like those behaviors with church and like spiritual and you know, faith and the whole thing. And, and like, um, yeah, I, I got to get over that. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, but you know, there's a way, and I'm going to say this, you know, giving doesn't mean free. Hmm. And that's hmm. the disservice that the church does, you know. I'm not going to say the church, but some churches do to its staff and the people who, you know, just because I have pledged my life to be a servant doesn't mean I have to do that and lessen the value of what I bring, right? Mm. And I've learned this lesson, like when I say over and over again, like I've been on both the like, on both sides of the lesson and I say that because like a really good example is just like creating music. Like, So I'm a producer. Right. And um, there are there's a very big difference between producers and beat maker beat makers. Controversial. We can get into that at another time. But, you know, a, I use a lot of live instrumentation in my production. And so I do this kind of method of like guerrilla style, like pack my laptop up and bring my little interface over to like musicians houses and like, you know, we're drinking beers and you know <laughs> you know hey can you just record this little lick that's what this is when i was in la like i'll say this is five six years ago since then i don't drink anymore and i haven't been to any musicians houses but i'm just giving you know kind of an example of how i go about it right mm -hmm. and like there was a brotherhood that like i had with a few different musicians were like they're like i got you mm. you know and i'm asking them like how much do you need like how much like do you want to be paid do you want 
you not want to be here like what's up and like they'll be like just buy me some beer you know or something you know right and I go over to their house and we have a great time and you know whatever but there was a time period before that where I truly was just struggling financially Mm. right like truly struggling financially and as a producer and an artist my like trajectory like career trajectory was different than like some of my musician friends because they would get gigs playing their instruments Mm -hmm. right so you take somebody who like i had a friendship with or who we had like this brotherhood with or like whatever and now they're making say like 60k a year with their instrument yeah right and here comes joy the friend right like hey bro I need some like tracks laid down, like help me out. And I think one might say like, well, they should just help you because of the friendship. And it's like, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's different now, yeah, right? Because this is how they feed their family. Rent's not going to pay itself. Exposure is not going to cut it. I mm-hmm. can't pay my rent with exposure, yeah. right? And I got into this situation of feeling really, I was just like, Ugh, I felt dirty asking. I needed the help because I still wanted to create music and I wanted it to create it in my way, but I wanted to, but I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where I could not afford to produce what I was looking at. And mind you, so these guys come up with me, right? So I'm 36. We're, we're in the same age group. These are killers, mm-hmm. right? As far as how good they are on their instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard for me to find that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. That's that's years of experience. Yeah. Right. We're not nineteen well, anymore. We're not. <laughs> we're not Berkeley. <laughs> right. These guys have toured this, and me too. We've toured. We've all done our thing. So there's a certain level of sage wisdom they're bringing with with what they bring to my record, and I've gotten to a point now where I've just like started to. I got to a point where I was like. Okay, Joy, you got to realize that if you're putting out the energy of like begging for your friends who like make money doing this to help you out, then when it's time for you to get paid, like no matter who it is, you're not going to get paid because you may not reap Mm. where you sold, but you will reap. Yeah. Right. And so I started getting to the mindset, like if I want to be paid to do music, then I got to start paying my friends you know, a certain amount of money or like, and, and and be honest about what I can do, but always make sure they're paid. Like mm. always make sure they're paid. And since then, I've had better interactions. I felt better about what I was doing. I've felt a sense, a more of a sense of pride because like when you send that person that cash up and you're like, hey, like, thank you so much. Like, it's just a different feeling and a different vibe. It's right? so funny. Like I, I, there was a period where um, almost every gig that I was getting was with some kind of uh, hip hop, gospel, black and Hispanic people music. Right. Reggaeton, yes. whatever. And right. the vibe and the expectations are so different from the white megachurch. <laughs> like when I started working at this megachurch, it was not at all the same in terms of like how this stuff was approached um like i'm talking like 
like i don't know if I, i'm on tiktok there's this, this viral moment right now with like this three million dollar <laughs> freaking um uh christmas production that some church in texas is putting together and everybody you know having their opinions about that and <laughs> nobody's not getting paid <laughs> everybody who needs to get paid is getting paid and there's no question and like um it's one of these things where it's like it's really just a change of like of of approach and mentality and whatever it's like if you are ready to <laughs> to spend the money then the money will be there so it's like i don't know i, I it's part of this thing we were talking about earlier with this, the scarcity thing where like you know people who come from you know these backgrounds you know giving up a dollar for any kind of service is like like a big deal even if the money even if they have the money yeah, of um, course yeah, I, I remember. Well, we gotta get out of that. Yeah, I remember playing with this band, and we were opening for Alicia Keys at the Apollo, and I didn't get paid. And I was like, "Are you serious?" Like it was, it was just, it was the wildest and the the weirdest experience of my life. And, the, and this same band, we opened for um, the Clark Sisters, um, and I did not get paid. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, I, I was doing it, you know exposure was was gonna pay my rent was well, yeah <laughs> let me tell you so i did i did <clears throat> i did south by southwest in 20 might have been 2017 2016 i don't know maybe 2015 mm. i'm getting old and um i think i paid for everybody to get there um, like they drove my, I was on tour so they drove my car so like I paid for everybody to get there and like I couldn't we weren't getting paid for the spot so mm. I couldn't pay anybody right <laughs> I remember like hitting up we like at one point my bass player drops out he couldn't do it right <laughs> so I I'm like yo who who, you know, I'm talking to my MD. I'm like, who can we get? You know, whatever. And he was like giving me some names. So like I hit up this dude who like had a very strong local presence, like played for the local church, like was playing for like making like, you know, making, like I said, easily 50, 60 K on his instrument in the city. Mm -hmm. Right. So I email him and I'm like laying out what is up. Like, so they're driving, I'm paying for everybody's, like, I'm paying for a hotel room, I'm paying for everybody to get there, but, like, I can't pay you, we're not getting paid for the gig, but, like, it's honestly just going to be fun. Like, what's up? And, like, like he didn't respond. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember calling my MD, and I'm like, he didn't respond. But he was like, yeah, bro, like, he's getting married next year, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, time know, for that. <laughs> he don't have time, right? And so, you know, and I remember even times back then when I was trying to get recordings and stuff done and, and, you know, I was trying to start a, I started this like live music night in LA and like, I remember hitting up a, a similar story, hitting up a dude who like wife and a kid at the time and, you know, but we came up together kind of. So I knew him. I'm like, Hey, I'm paying 75 bucks a night. It's so funny. Like I think about that now. And like my life is is such a different place now. Like, I remember this whole time I actually got started working. Like, I'm I'm in the creative field now. I do like you know design and um, advertising and marketing and all that stuff. And um, I actually got started 
doing press kits for like artists and stuff and it's like oh i need a photo shoot i need a website at the time myspace was the thing it's like i need my myspace hooked up you know yeah. like i need this and that whatever and um i remember people asking for like um uh, concert posters i was like oh I, I could do that and i started working on concert posters for people and and i was like i'm making way more money doing this stuff <laughs> than the actual music and i'm like what's going on and eventually you know the I own a home in one of the most expensive parts of the country right now. And, you know, I, I drive a Tesla. I have two kids and a five-bedroom house. And it's Which is, for people who are living, living in Hudson County, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't playing no damn music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I mean, I have a similar... What what are you Story. doing? Now? What's what's what? you're uh, yeah, like so a I mogul work... now? You're like freaking like what's going on? Which what, what, yeah, what so are you doing? I own a property management company with my wife. We have um, you know, I think we have like five, five or six. Pro- it's it's more, mm. but we we have properties that we manage. Okay, we just bought our first one this past summer. Everything else is under just like under our portfolio of management. Um. And we do short-term rental, so Airbnb, Verbo, so on and so forth. And, you know, that changed our lives. You know, it's a six-figure uh, revenue company two years in a row. So mm-hmm. added a lot of cash flow into our lives, of course. Uh, but, you know, when I graduated from Berkeley, I somebody told me to go work for Apple. And I was like, okay. And that was like my introduction into tech. And that was in 2008. Fast forward, I stayed at Apple all the way up until 2015. Mm-hmm when I was touring as a background vocalist and doing all that great stuff and, you know, Sam Smith, Stevie Wonder, so on and so forth. And, you know, that was at the time where I felt this like, oh yeah, I'm going to quit my job and be full-time music now, you know, (laughs) because I had never made that much money as a solo artist, Mm -hmm. you know, doing gig to gig. I had never made that much money ever. The money that I saw on tour, I had never made that much money ever in music. But the thing about making money on tour is that guess what? you make it the during tours the tour end. <laughs> and then the, when the tour is over you got to go home and if you're not going to if you're not going to keep getting booked that is a very dicey life to live mm-hmm. and so at the time that i got off tour i was married to my first wife and she had three children so i was helping to raise them and like you know you know it's like you go outside with a family of five and you, and you breathe it's like it costs money right mm-hmm. and so I just was like, oh, like, you know, I was in a very terrible financial place. And so I kind of started getting back into corporate around that time. Like I was like, the gigs are not coming fast enough. Mm. Like my bills are coming every month, but I'm doing a gig every however long. And even if I make $2,000 just for a couple hours of my time, that is not enough to sustain me and this family. Yep. So I went back into corporate America for like a couple years, I'll say in like 2016. Um, and I was working for Honda Motor Company, who was going through and is still going through, I think, this like airbag crisis that they had going on. Mm. And so I was there for two years and I left the company because I always like to tell this story because, you know, it really was a like triumphant moment for me. But anyway, like, so I get to work one day and there's security. They has a huge building, right? They're pretty much just like their, this is like their headquarters in the West Coast. 
and there's like security all over the parking lot. And the parking lot is like very large, like almost like a, like a football field and a half of just like cars parked and stuff. And then you go into the building. Mm-hmm. So when you park your car, you have a pretty long walk to the door. Like yeah. you have to like plan for that so that you get to work on time. Okay. So I'm seeing, so one of the security guards who I know was in the like little security vehicle and was like, get in, I'm going to walk you up to the door. And I was like, Thinking to myself, you should have been walking, you should have been driving me up to the door every day. Like, I'm cut, this will cut my walking time in half. Okay, whatever, right? So she drives me to the door and I get inside. There's just like a weird vibe at work. And like, this was a call center with like, you know, maybe 500 people on one floor, right? So you can see just all the cubicles and stuff. So, long story short, I'm asking around, I'm like, what happened? What happened? What's going on? And everybody's like, no one knows. So, around noon, like finally people start finding out what's going on. And what it was, was that this job used to just like fire people, mm-hmm. right? Like they had a culture of like, there was a point system because there's so many people who work there. They had these very strict rules. If you're late a certain amount of time, you get, you know, whatever. And they changed the attendance policy a few times, but like they would really fire people a lot. There was a lot, it's high tone turnover, right? Okay. So the fact that I was even there for two years was like a miracle. And they fired these two guys and that the night before those two guys put on YouTube that they were going to come up to the place and shoot everybody. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. The heck? So, and one of them, his YouTube channel was like a channel dedicated to like guns and combat oh and like no. all of this stuff. So there was never a, dis- there was never a formal communication since to us the employees about this but obviously we could tell like the reaction like we were getting emails like you don't let if if a person doesn't have their key card you don't let them in like we were just getting and the security was driving us up and whatever whatever and i sat there and i just thought to myself so y'all didn't even want to give me the opportunity (laughs) to not come in today like like to me my life was worth you sending an email the night before and mm-hmm. like saying to all the co- to all the employees like hey we have a threat and if you don't want to come in we understand and you won't get docked for that you won't get paid for the day but you won't get docked okay so i decided right then i said i think i put my two weeks notice in like probably a day later mm-hmm. and i drove uber for two years Right. And like full time Uber, like made like a lot of money. Uber is actually extremely lucrative in big cities. Right. And so Mm -hmm. drove my car into the to the ground. But at least I had my integrity. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I'm not going to let these people treat me like that. Yeah. And that was kind of when I got into like kind of this freelance vibe. Like I'm like, okay, cool. Like I can drive Uber, but that that it doesn't there's no schedule so I can do studio time. And I started to work on a project in L.A., I got hired to do this project, and it's a, a, a story that happens to a lot of us in L.A. Like, I worked on the project for a year, didn't really get paid very much to do it. And, of course, the project went down a drain. I was promised a publishing deal. I was pr- promised all these things, and it never went through. And, I mean, 
heartbroken. I mean, that's a traumatic event for me mm. because I finally thought I had reached a space because I went to L.A. under the idea that I was going to tour and I was going to like write songs and do like studio work while I was at home. And it just never panned out for me, both because of my own fault. Right. Having, you know, this marriage that wasn't exactly right. And, you know, I, I lived far out from the city, so I wasn't really, to you know, commute the way I really wanted to. And there was a lot of responsibility with, mm. you know, a wife and three kids. Um, but also me just not push, like not having the mental fortitude to like push through certain things. And so when I found this project, I was like, yes, you know, it was around the time that I was like getting my divorce and I was like, awesome. Like I'm going to be finally able to do something meaningful. That's going to like change, you know, in the music industry, that's what we do. We think about this one event that's going to change everything. Yes. I thought this was that and it wasn't. And I was just like heartbroken. And my wife, my now wife, we started dating and she was, had been an entrepreneur for like seven years and had her own cleaning business. And like, Uh she lived this very cushy. We know where this story is (laughs) going. Listen, like she had this very cushy life, right? Like she was making amazing money from her cleaning business. And she had this life that was like, I do what I want when I want to travel. I I, I do whatever. Mm. And, you know, she kind of like, would be looking at me like, so you have all these skills and tech and all these things that you can do and you don't go make money doing that? And I was like, well, because I'm focused on the music. And she was like, you can't focus on your music while also like doing those things. And I was like, eh. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had never thought about it that way. So I had to humble myself a little bit because she would like go and like have clients like cleaning clients and i mean making like a lot of money right and mm. she would like be like i'm about to go do this job by myself you want to come make some money <laughs> you know <laughs> and i would be like you know the masculine you know part of me like nah girl do your thing i don't need your, nah, girl, go ahead, you know and like she would be like you need this money <laughs> she's like i don't know how much you make it's so funny like how i, I and and this happens a lot with i think anybody in like a creative fields especially where it's like if if you're not doing specifically the thing that you told yourself you were going to be doing when you were freaking 17 when you were a dumbass 17 year old then you feel like you failed in life and like like i i have a friend that like he um you know he's he's pretty successful now he's doing his thing he's a producer a musician whatever um but he was just so like disgusted by needing like a security job on the side to like pay his rent and i'm like dude like you got to <laughs> You gotta do what you gotta do. Let like, me tell you, we're not in a world that like, we live in a society where you gotta you gotta pay your bills, and there's no shame in that. And also, like, um, you know, the statistically, the chances of these dreams that you have when you're 17 coming true, it's like the lottery. So it's like, number one, you have to be okay with with your, your life taking a different direction, and number two, it's like you are not your job. You are not the thing that pays your bills. That's right. That's not who That's you right. are. You know. That's like, right. There's other ways of seeking fulfillment. I know a lot of um, musicians that really what they want to do is travel. It's like I want to go on tour. I want to see the world. It's like you actually just want to travel. It's like get a job, make a lot of money, and travel. And you can travel. <laughs> um, and or you know some people that they just they want to be able to do something creative. It's like, um, well you know use your hands and do something. You know like it, it's. There's there's other ways of of being fulfilled other than this one dream that you this set yourself when you're a freaking yeah. teenager. Things um, can be true simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Like you can be a musician and be like a a person who has a corporate job. Like they can exist together. And when I started 
dating her, she helped me to understand because she's also a singer and also like very well known in her city. Oh, I I saw that. I've seen videos. She has a beautiful voice. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's an incredible singer, and, and you know, thank you for saying that. I mean. I, you know that's what uh, you know originally attracted us together was the music part and and she showed me that like like she owns the cleaning company she was a singer she did all these so she showed me that like I didn't have to choose this one thing and so like I would go I humbled myself down with the mop and the like rag and her little like t-shirt her her cleaning company t-shirt and I would go like clean and work for her you know and she was my boss and it's like it was a whole year of that and eventually I got an opportunity when we came here, you know, after starting our cleaning business or starting our uh, property management company, we started that because we were cleaning Airbnbs and making a ton of money. And she said to me, if they're cleaning, if they're paying us this much to clean them, mm. if we had them, then we'd probably be making a lot of money. And I was like, you're smart. And then I said, I don't want to do it. It's too much of a risk. And she was like, are you kidding me? You're going to, we're going to do this. And, you know, reluctantly I gave her the money, you know, and, we started the company and then it started doing what uh, for real coming from from um uh, the mercedes driver over here <laughs> who i, mean, I was but, celebrating from from home i was like you get that money that means, <laughs> but that's what i'm saying like sh- everything i have today you know the clothes i wear oh, everything i have today the places i've been able to go I give her 100, you know, I'm not going to say 100% credit. I'm going to give her 50% credit because I had to do the work, right? But, like, she just helped me to see, like, what, it, like, are you dumb? Like, that was her, her attitude was very much like, you're serious right now? Like, you about to leave this money on the table? So, anyway, we got to Milwaukee and I got an opportunity to work for a nonprofit that helps adults from underserved communities learn about tech tech and like web development and programming and project management and business. And then at the end of the 16 week program, we help them get a job and it changes their lives. I mean, I think they see something like a 300% increase in earnings and we have something like an 85% placement rate or 89. So like you come out of our program, of course we don't guarantee you're going to get a job, but 89% of our, you know, if we have a cohort of 18, you know, 15, 15, 14 of them are going to get a job and they're going to get jobs making 75K, 85K, you know, great money. And so I found out about that job and I said no at first. And my wife was like, so you mean to tell me you have all this experience in tech? You work for Apple that long time. You've done all these projects on your own because tech has started to, had started to be after I left Apple, just started to even just be like a freelance way of me interacting. Like I would always be doing things in tech, mm. even not even thinking about it. Like I just was always like doing little side projects and things like that. And she was like, so you're going to leave this money on the table when she's like, for what? I'm, you know, I'm, and I had, I'm seeing a theme here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I said, okay, fine. And so I took the job and I've been, I've been there for like now like a year and like a couple months. And, you know, the one thing I can say is that I had never considered, I had never opened my mind to the fact that I have all these skills in tech. I have all this knowledge and understanding and know-how. 
And the tech industry, I just went to a conference last week. I mean, the salaries are crazy. Mm. The benefits are crazy. The the companies are amazing, you know, and there is a need for more and more and more and more tech professionals with the ever-growing presence of social media and different apps and so on and so forth. Like, we live in a world that's pretty much controlled by tech. So Mm. now I'm seeing a whole nother, like, um, avenue for myself. But the reality is, my love for music and my love for creating and my love for uh, making us turning nothing into something like mm-hmm. it was silence. It was silence, you know, two days ago and now it's a full blown song. Like, wow, that, that, that process still blows me away. So I'm still, you know, I DJ now that was something that showed up out of the pandemic and I make money doing that now. So I'm in a space now where I don't think I've ever been this relaxed and happy and comfortable with just like my life. Mm. And so I'm really looking forward to like creating music from that space because I've always created music in a space of lack and deficit. Mm. And somewhere along the line at Berkeley, I was convinced that it's always the best music you're going to make is the music when you're like hungry and when you're like in need. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's bullshit. I think that there's something about creating from a space of fullness. Mm-hmm. Both are necessary, right? There's or, different. Or both with, are possible. And both th- are yeah. possible. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the Bible talks about there being different seasons, right? And mm-hmm. there's, we get that. And, and you know, there's a time for everything. Um, but right now, I'm looking to make music that really embodies the human experience in a very joyful, no pun intended, mm-hmm. joyful and, and uh, from, a play, from a space of wholeness. Because wholeness... And this is, you know, something that my spiritual practice has has taught me is that I think that in the ch- growing up in the church, we're taught a lot about holiness. Mm. Right. Mm. And this concept that is really something we can never be, but it is it's Christ. An, an unattainable thing that yeah. it's an unattainable thing that because of our relationship with Christ, we can attain it. And conversely, wholeness speaks to it's achievable wholeness is achievable even in spite of trauma in spite of brokenness in spite of all of that because i have those things right like divorce feels like failure it's probably Mm -hmm. one of the the you know and having to like break off my relationship with you know the stepchildren i had had a relationship with some of that stuff is real life shit that mm-hmm. no one can walk you through. No one, no matter what your parents say, no matter what your friends, family say, you can't. That brokenness that you feel from loss, from grief, yeah. from just different traumas that we all have our different, you know, we all have our cross to bear, so to speak. Learning to be whole and not claim victimhood through those things is a ever evolving process that is really beautiful when you 
intentionally unfolded and met meditation did that for me mm. meditation helped me to understand myself better than i understand anyone else and i always tell you know my new interns whenever i get a new cohort i always tell them when i'm having my first talk with them like my superpower is i know me better than i know anyone else I know my shortcomings. I know my failures. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. I know my boundaries. I know so much about myself that 100 motherfuckers can't tell me nothing. For real. <laughs> because when you know yourself that well, everybody's trying to observe the room, right? And I get it. Everybody's spending a lot of time looking outward. Mm -hmm. And I did that a lot. If they would just do this, if 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 the situation was just this, if they would the, the, just the industry kind of like the, makes you do that. In, in of way. course, and yeah. I, we were conditioned, right? Like my thought process was always in a space of lack <laughs> and deficit. Like if they just maybe they don't like the masculine presenting. Oh, if maybe oh, uh, but you know what's happened to me is, and this is why the internet is a blessing. What's happened to me is I'm seeing masculine presenting black females making money doing music producing records winning grammys doing all this stuff and i'm like oh so you mean to tell me the problem was just my lack of of <laughs> seeing that this could happen and of course if you can see it you can be it right so representation matters i get that but what i'm saying is when you see that happening or and it's not i'm not saying it's a million of them but there's a lot mm -hmm. right that when you see that happening for them you say to yourself oh so i've been convincing myself it wasn't happening for me for those reasons and look it's happening for other people mm. so either i'm going to shut up and, and start doing my thing or i'm going to keep saying that same thing and it's a work in progress i have records that are going to come out next year and you know there's some things we're definitely going to be doing on the music front but um i've just started to get out of my own way in a very profound way and knowing myself has exposed me to my own limiting beliefs because not everything we say is what we really think and feel inside like yeah i believe it and you could do anything anybody from anywhere could be anything and gonna, <laughs> you say all that stuff and in your mind you're going it's never gonna happen for you it's never mm. gonna happen. you know i had to really deal with matching the positive joy that everybody knows and has seen and has loved for all these years matching that with my insides and that was the work in progress and my meditation practice and my spiritual practice of just really trying to get to the most authentic me that there could possibly be um has led me to where i'm at today so i said all that to say i'm probably the happiest i've ever been with the most responsibility I've ever had and the highest stakes I've ever had. Um, I think that a lot of it, it, it's, I could, um, you could probably attribute a lot of it to um, like your hierarchy of needs being met. You know, it's like you're in a place where you're not worried about money. You're not worried about your relationship. You're not worried about, you know what's going on with your career you know it's like as soon as the worries are out of the way and it's not even necessarily about um whether you've succeeded in the thing the goals you set out for yourself it's like you're in a place where you're not chasing you know um 
it's like you you can finally like stop and just look around and and literally smell the roses you know like it's something that like um i personally you know i'm at a place in my life where i never stop thinking about my 10 five year 10 year plan or whatever it's something that was on the back of my mind constantly until very recently um you know like saving up for the house and like you know it, it started with like Oh, I got to find a wife. Oh, we got to save for a wedding. Oh, we got to save for the car. Oh, we got to save for this. Oh, we got to have children. Oh, we got to do this. It's like we're constantly looking. What's the next step? What's the next? And as soon as we, I, th- I think for me, it was like moving into this house and seeing my kids, you know, grow. My, my son's in school now and just sort of like chilling. I, it, it's, I don't care about what's happening next. I'm just kind of just living, you know, and it's, you know, also therapy. <laughs> I did some therapy this year that helped a lot. Um, you know, I it's, sure do have a therapist. Yep. It's like it's it's allowed me to just live my life and not thinking think about where my life is going. It's like just live live the life that you're in, and um, you know, and also thinking about like the core of of you know what are the things that I do want for my life. It's like. Like I was saying before, it's like, do you do you want to go on tour and be a musician, or do you just want to travel? It's like, do you like um, uh, making music, or do you like creating things from nothing? And tapping into like, what is the core of the thing that I want, and doing that—that's really what's been like the like the most fulfilling thing for me. Oh um, yeah. So I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I you know it's been. A real, a, a real pleasure talking to you, and I've learned so much about you, and I'm, and I feel like I got inside information of one of the most interesting <laughs> people on earth. Um, I've always found you to be like, like seriously, like one of the most interesting and multifaceted people ever. Um, and a lot of people that came out of Berkeley, they're just musicians, and like that's it. <laughs> and I feel like that's not you at all. You know, you're, you, you, you have like you're multifaceted. You're like a gem. You know, you have all different angles and. And I really appreciate it about you, and, and wow. I, th- I thank you for giving me these these two hours, because um, you'll never get them back. <laughs> Facts. No, I appreciate this. I think you know there's a part, portion. Uh, I'm really a person who likes to talk. Like conversation is like one of my favorite things to do, mm. and there's a part of conversation I think that has healing energy. So I thank you even because I think that the more that um, I hear your story and I hear mine, you know, it's like, oh, we're not alone, right? Like, mm-hmm. we've all been through these things. We've all had trauma and devastation and these different things. But, like, you know, somehow we end up okay in the end. Um, and we also hold space for those who don't, right? And that's, like, that's some really cool stuff. And I just love that you're, like, building community through having conversations with people. That's yeah. awesome. So thank you for having me. And I look forward to hearing this back because we went to, we we went through a lot of different things. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested in hearing how it comes out.